Like, remember that the Arsenal players have already been subsidising the club and it turns out they were subsidising the fucking billionaire owner rather than sort of uh, people making a tea or people finding the next sort of talented youngsters. I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation tomorrow, bro. It's people's lives are at risk. Oli Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take it as a yes, then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, have a bad shave. Hello and welcome to the Football Spin with Nuruddin Chowdhury, Ruben Pinder and me, Matt Stanger. Tonight, Manchester United, a 2-1 victory over Lask in the Europa League to set up a tie against Copenhagen and a 6-1 aggregate win. Can they go all the way? Solskjaer says it would be massive for the club to win the Europa League. What do you think, Noz? I mean, yeah, it would it would be very, very good for United to win the Europa League, but, but tonight it was awful. Like tonight, I fell out of love with football completely. It's just like it's just like it's one of those games where you, where you just watch the game and you kind of think like, why am I doing this? Why 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 was I looking forward to this for a few days? Like it was it was it was awful. And and if anything, the the, the fake fan noise was just mocking. Like like like, like the, the, you almost felt insulted that these stupid algorithmic robots were cheering shit passes from from Daniel James and Juan Mata. Um, it I was thought just... the fan noise was a bit off tonight. It well, it, it seems like really delayed and um, over the top and almost sarcastic every time, like you know, Mata or Lingard put a shot wide or high. The fans were almost sarcastically going like, "Whoa!" And it was just that's interesting. It, it's, it's it's very Europa League in that sense. Uh, tonight's <laughs> so, game reminded me why they put the Europa League normally on a Thursday when everyone's got fatigue from Tuesday and Wednesday because nobody wants to watch that. <laughs> That's that's interesting. I, I I took I took the I took the fake sound noise on uh, on face value, but you, you you've added another dimension. Like they're actually being sarcastic. It was it was a bit of a continuation of United's end of the Premier League season, wasn't it? Really, they, they still look absolutely exhausted, and you just wonder with another tie in the Europa League coming up, and then the Premier League restarting on September the twelfth. Just just how is football going to go on like this? Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I completely get it. Like, like all these players needed playing time, and and uh, obviously Solskjaer towards the end of the season wasn't changing his team much because uh, every point and, and and every game meant so much. But but so so I totally get that the these players needed playing time. They were they were already five nil ahead. Um, they were bound to be roster and everything, but it was it, there was no need for it to be that bad. It's it, it's almost like when uh, when all the teams first started out after lockdown, they weren't this bad. Like like obviously they needed a bit of time to get the get the tempo back to normal, but they like you you, you could talk, you could find a man with a, with a basic pass. You could you could do the simple things. Uh, I mean, it, it's very it's very easy to read too much into games like this, um, but you do start to think like, well, maybe this is exactly why United need um, reinforcements. And and again, like it's all it always breaks your heart when when a hero of yours like turns into a pundit and comes out with the most inane sort of opinions ever. But like Paul scores before the game, like like they asked him about Sancho, and he's like, oh, I don't think they need him. 
because they've got very similar players and it's sort of like well they, I mean they obviously do need him because because the players that they do have although although they've hit, hit upon a a front three that are decent um the fatigue showed in, in in those last few games there was nothing reserve and and and, and as as was evident tonight there's not much in reserve after that yeah absolutely on, yeah on that note um i think tonight's game kind of just highlights the stark difference between United's starting eleven and their bench. Like when other teams that they're trying to be as good as, like as David Moyes famously compared to, we're trying to be as good as City. When City rotate their front three, they you know they take out Aguero, put in Jesus, take out Mares, put in Bernardo Silva. When and when you're replacing Rashford and Martial with Igalo and Daniel James, it's just re- it just emphasizes the need to bring in players like Sancho. Um, and going back to the the first question about it. Being, this being a continuation of their poor form at the end of the season. Um, if they win the Europa League, it would obviously be great because Solskjaer will, will have won a trophy. But then the gap between the end of European football in August and the start of the Premier League is so small, it's going to have a knock-on effect to the start of next season. And I know Nuno Espirito Santo, whose Wolves team are also still in the Europa League, has asked for a longer break at the end of the European cluster at the end of August. But surely that would just catch you up later on in the season yeah it feels like Wolves have been playing for about three years non-stop now doesn't it <laughs> but I, I think we... hasn't, hasn't uh, I mean correct me if I'm wrong but hasn't some kind of deal been agreed that the European teams will get longer off won't they start later it's not been confirmed yet as oh, far as right. I know so it's it's obviously open to negotiation like everything is around the resumption of the the Premier League season again in September um but but just looking at United again tonight, you know, you mentioned that squad depth, both of you. It, was it perhaps a sign of, as much as anything, of how United need to get some players out? Like, I mean, Sanchez is on the move, isn't he, to Inter Milan? That looks like it'll go through in the next 24 hours. And a more that should follow him, because otherwise, you know, you're sort of relying on bodies to come in and it doesn't look like United have much beyond that first 11 that's going to be able to keep them competitive. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, you do need a you need a big squad for the amount of games that United are going to play, but there's a lot of there's a lot of deadwood there. Like Igalo was always short term um, solution, and you know he doesn't really look like a player who can step in for you know a, an important match. He's only good enough for these games, um, but he'll stick around for another six months. Lingard looks like he's going to be off, which is probably. It probably suits everyone involved. Um, you know, maybe he'll go to like a Newcastle or a West Ham where I think Munch and Gladbach are interested. Juan Mata is another one who surely looks finished in the Premier League at a club like that. Like he's obviously still got all of his technical ability, but physically he's just not what United want. Like he could either go back to Spain and do a Cazorla or go to MLS or something. But um, yeah, there's a lot of, and you know, players like Fosu Mensa who it's like, they've reached that point now where if they're not going to break into the first team, they should probably go and find a club that will play them in the first team. So they they do have a lot of players to shift, um, which is, again, why they need to to bring some more in. And not just Sancho, but some good defenders as well. I've I've got a question to you two as, as like non-United fans. Like, what do you make of Daniel James? I was just saying to my dad this evening, who is a United fan, he, he arrived as a £15 million player from the championship and he looks like that when he plays um obviously his pace is his main 
attribute and it it's kind of it can be useful off the bench and I know Solskjaer's played him in a front two uh, times this seasons in like a three five two to to when they want to play on the break so he can be useful in that sense but thinking long term like players like obviously Sancho is quite a special case but they need to aim a lot higher than Daniel James and I think he'll stick around for next season but probably not much longer because he just doesn't look like he has the quality to play for a team that want to you know finish in the top four and eventually win a title it it does sort of feel like the Sancho transfer probably means that James has already been written off to an extent um I think like the the fee that he came in for it was never really that much of a gamble you know if, if it worked out brilliant if it didn't it's not huge money for Manchester United uh, but he's not young, is he? I mean, he's going to be 23 late this year. And you don't often see players develop massively, I don't think, between sort of the age of 23 to, to those peak years, 27, 28. Usually they're already well along that path by now. And, and with James, you feel like he has a huge amount of progress to, to be able to, to really hold his place in a, a first 11 playing in Champions League. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, t- I tend to agree. The, the only thing I'd say is is that, like, for for both United when he first came, and like bits and pieces for Wales, he's shown little little hints and little sparks of like you can think, oh, actually, he's a player. So I don't know, like, like it's it's either it's either a case of he's not suited to United, and he pro- probably sort of will have a better opportunity elsewhere where there's less pressure and, and less spotlight and everything. But, or like maybe he's a bit of a confidence player because like, like tonight, especially, but like in other games, he, he just, he doesn't seem to have much conviction. Whereas when he was playing well for both Wales and United and like he scored, scoring good goals for both, like, like he, he just, he got the ball and he, and he, and he seemed quite direct and he, it, it looked as if things were going to happen. We're writing him off here, but you know what's going to happen. He's going to do a Jesper Blomqvist and end up playing the Champions League final next year, isn't he? <laughs> I won't complain. <laughs> so you, you suggested there Juan Mata making an emotional return to Valencia, Ruben, which sounds exactly up my street. I think that would be great to see him go back there and sort of be worshipped again in Spain and have that big uh, send-off like Cazorla had this season. But uh, obviously there's a player that's come over from Valencia to the Premier League in the last couple of days, Ferran Torres. You were based in Valencia, I think, Ruben, weren't you, for a year. So so what can you tell us about him? Yeah, well, um, Mata could could replace him because they, you know, play in the similar positions. Um, yeah, the Ferran Torres one is is an interesting deal because he, he had a release clause of 100 million euros. And like as we all know, like, release clauses are obligatory in Spain and they're often massively inflated um, to, you know, fend off uh, clubs, especially after the Neymar thing. So, you know, um, Isco will have one of like 500 million or whatever. But to let a player go who's very young, I think he's only 20, really promising, highly rated, has played well this season for around 23 million, which in today's market is basically nothing is a very strange transfer I think City are getting a very good player he's a tricky right-footed winger who loves to get in behind and score goals which I think suits the way that Pep wants to use his wingers the way he used Sterling and Sane in sort of between like 2017 and 2019 so I think he'll suit their style of play and it's quite a low risk signing even if he doesn't work out because as I said he's quite cheap Um, but the circumstances in which he left are quite interesting because Valencia are in a bit of a uh, a crisis. They they seem to have a yearly crisis. Like ever since I kind of 
went there and became aware of like how the club do things. It always seems to be that there's a, a crisis with Peter Lim, the chairman, involved somehow. Um, and Ferran Torres has spoken about, he, he did an interview with Marca, the Spanish paper, and spoke about how people at the club and journalists in Spain made him feel like a villain um, for leaving and everything. But it, 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 the interesting thing that he said, actually, was about Captain Danny Parejo and how he felt very um like they didn't have a relationship um it took him weeks to say good morning and um which i find very strange because you know ferran torres he's from valencia he's he's loved by the fans or at least was Uh, and parejo is similarly a legend there and that kind of um tension within the dressing room is just indicative of a horrendous situation um but he also admitted in this interview that he had three demands of valencia um, for a contract renewal, and one of them was to be captain. Now, I'm not sure whether this is a slightly a slight mistranslation and that he wanted to be one of the captains at the club or whether he wanted the armband, but Parejo's been there since 2011, um, was stripped of the captaincy before, got it back, and for a 20-year-old to be making those demands, I'm not surprised that he may be an axe to grind with him. Um, so it's all a bit messy, but ultimately City are getting a very good player for a very good price. I absolutely love that, don't you? Not so twenty-year-old going to the club hierarchy and saying, "Yeah, I want to, I want a wage rise, but but I also want to be made captain." <laughs> it it feels like he was definitely you know, at that point he was definitely already going to go to sitter, but he just thought, right, I, I hate this, I hate this dickhead who's who's, who's captain. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a do a proper messy before I leave and and just see how I, how I can piss him off. Um, oh yeah, I want I want a pair, of, and I want I want the armband as well. <laughs> I think I think it could have backfired spectacularly if they'd said yes, and then he would have been like really unhappy with the armband still 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 there, but just like just have that glow of just pissing off this 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 older player that isn't like it's. I suppose it's a little bit like Rubin coming into this podcast as like this precocious young sort of a uh, journalist and, and thinking he owns a place. <laughs> no so, comment. <laughs> but um, it's been a busy couple of days for Manchester City with Nathan Aki arriving as well. As a Man United fan, are you looking at it and thinking, is this going to be another one of those summers where you're left behind again a little bit, Nos? Um, I think I think with the likes of Sitter and. Uh, Chelsea uh, before they got sort of the transfer ban. I think you just take it as read that they're gonna every year they're gonna spend uh, a decent wedge and sort of uh, and just and, and just hoard really talented players. Uh, I mean, this season it was going to be more than ever because because the sort of uh, the five subs thing is going to go into next season because it's going to be a, a like a, a short on season and therefore lots of games, especially before Christmas. Uh, you, you know that teams are going to bulk up their squads. So you know it's going to happen. Um, I find it, I just find it a little bit interesting from the players' point of view. And, and I've thought of, I've thought of this more at, at, about Chelsea than City, but also, also City, because like um, both Torres and Ake, We'll kind of know that they're going to be, especially start off with, they're going to be sort of like uh, squad fodder, and you you get a lot of you get a lot of talented young players that go to the likes of City and uh, Chelsea, and then and then they'll they'll sort of like stick around in the squad, uh, have have like a few games, and then before long, after like uh, eighteen months, two years, they're moved on 
in, in this churn. And then I, I'm I'm always fascinated to sort of like see that that uh, it doesn't work out again and again for all these all these uh, exciting young players, and yet the next batch are always willing to to do it again and sort of like be those players that'll go to these big like these big clubs with these massive squads and not really get the opportunity i, I just wonder whether that's whether that that's just uh football is just thinking that th- this is fine i'm happy with this at this uh, at my age or it is it is based on this sort of um this ego of like thinking well i can be the one who can break through i can be like, I, if it, it, if like one in six come to this club and become a first teamer i can be that one in six it's just a, it's just an interesting dynamic in that respect cuz like like if if you if you take Aki, like i don't think he's going to be a first team player like like ever really i don't think i don't think that's what the plan is for him but he could do that at another club I, th- I think in the case of these two players, I, I don't think Ake will struggle for game time. But if you look at it from what is their best start in 11 in a 4-3-3, he can't play in his favourite position because Laporte plays there, which is I found it interesting that like City went for a left-footed centre-back when the only position in their defence that's really solid is the left footed centre back whereas they need somebody to play next to Laporte so maybe Ake will get games at left back when nobody has really impressed in Pep's entire time there like since Mendy's injury he's played Delft, Zinchenko and given Mendy games here and there Um, so maybe he could play there um, or maybe they like switch to a back three or something like that but so I I see what you mean about Ake not being a first like a starter necessarily but I think he'll get enough game time to sort of justify the transfer in his eyes and he also might get trophies out of it and even if he doesn't start 38 Premier League games that's what he will be chasing do you know what I mean and 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 with Torres I mean Sane has just left but but again you're right he probably doesn't get into their starting 11 because I mean Mares and Sterling have been the starting wingers last season they've still got Bernardo Silva in the squad but he probably it probably is an ego thing in the sense that like he backs himself to take Mares's spot in the team. Um, I don't think anyone's taking Sterling's, but he probably believes in his own ability. And we also have to remember that City they will be getting paid a lot of money. He's going to be going for the captaincy, isn't he? In about six weeks. Now. <laughs> oh. Well, David Silva's just left, so it's up for grabs. On your point, Noz, uh, something I learned this week, which shocked me to my very core, was uh, Marco Van Ginkel. Speaking of young players uh, taking that step up and sort of maybe gambling really on whether they have a career playing top flight football or just sort of enjoyed a big contract for five, six years. Marco Van Kinkle signed for Chelsea from PSV, I believe it was, in 2013. And he's still there now. He's been on loan at AC Milan. He's been on loan at Stoke. Um, sorry, he signed from Vitesse, of course. And yeah, he's got a contract until 2021. He's only ever played two Premier League appearances for Chelsea. So he's probably the perfect example, isn't he, really, of how your career can just sort of never start. But but especially at, especially at Chelsea, like, like, like they're, they're the kings of just of just loaning players out for like, like I'm sure there's been, there's, there's been players at, at Chelsea who could, uh, could actually get like a testimonial of purely playing on loan. Like, like yeah, it's, they had a goalkeeper recent um, in recent years who like left the club, and then there was a whole sort of news like Chelsea's longest-serving player has left the club, and he hadn't played a game for them. I forget his name. Matej Delac, I remember that guy. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. How would here's here's a question for you, Ruben? Seeing as you support like 
a team that's that's outside the top six. Yeah. I, was, I, was trying, I was trying to be diplomatic. No, we're crap. Yeah, go on. <laughs> like one, how would you feel about a rule that that limits squad size? Because it it does feel as if like big clubs think nothing of hoarding players. And, and and that just means that the not only does that mean that sort of the the, the slightly lesser tier teams don't get to keep those players, but like without sounding wanker, like like the world misses out on these talents, like watching them play week week in week out. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. I, I wouldn't be against that sort of thing because there are so many players that Chelsea Chelsea are the main culprits of this um, have signed over the years and. Like, like what you what you were saying earlier. Like, I'm not sure why players keep going there, expecting to break into the first team. Because even if they're good enough, Chelsea like have a plan for them, which is year at Vitesse, year in France, and then sell you on for twice as much money. And like, and they even do it with De Bruyne and, and Salah, and and they haven't really learned from that. And like, Chelsea have had what 40 players out on loan for like numerous years. Um, and I don't think it does the players that much good because. They're going. They're going to a different club every season. They don't spend more than a year under the same manager or playing in the same system. And it's not even like Chelsea have a top to bottom uh, unified, like uniform way of playing. Like, say, City had kind of like a an unofficial loan agreement with um, Girona because like Pep's brother owns the club, I think. And but they at least had some sort of synergy between. Okay, so we'll loan you this player. You train him out to play our way. Then we'll have him back, and like that's kind of like a mutually beneficial system, which is, I guess, what Chelsea was trying to do with Vitesse. But it did feel like they were just using Vitesse as like a farm to like fatten up these players before they, you know, not murder them, not slaughter them, but sell them. Do you know what I mean? So well, no, I, no, I, I don't like it. I don't like it. Well, well, well it's interesting you, you use the word farm because because to me it it feels. Like, like it's been happening for so long. It almost feels like a profit-making venture. In, yeah, that's in, what it is. In, in, they have in, no in, in that they know, them. like, like, like that's that's their strategy. They know that they can, they can, they can get X amount of players in, loan them out. That they'll gain reputation and experience playing for these teams to loan out to, and then they just sell them on for a profit. Yeah, I mean the the Chelsea loan army even have their own WhatsApp group. So it's like all, <laughs> forty players or however many out on loan. They have their own WhatsApp group, and then as soon as they go back to Chelsea, they're not allowed in that WhatsApp group anymore. That's I mean, amazing. like like Christian Atsu, for example, like first name that came to my head, his page, he joined Chelsea in 20, 2013, hasn't played a game for them in the Premier League. Year at Vitesse, year at Everton, don't remember that. Year at Bournemouth, Malaga, Newcastle, and then he eventually joined Newcastle and became a regular player. But it took him four years, and he's 28 now. So it's like, could he have done more with his career in that time had he gone somewhere that actually wanted him proper like unlike Chelsea did you know it's it's like a business like you're saying Oz. I mean it's like running almost like running you know the, the merchandise wing of of the company because you, you look at like some of the players that that Chelsea have sold in recent years like players like Bertrand Traore who barely played a game for the club ended up going to Lyon for about 10 million euros, I think it was. And, and, you know, that'll probably pay Timo Werner's salary for a year. And it's just ways, you know, of being quite clever, really, to, to just bring in revenue to, to keep renewing the squad each year. But, the, but, but then why, why be party to that? Why be, the, why be the young players that are willing to participate unless, like, like Ruben said, like they're, just, they're just happy to, or, or they, their ego tells them that they can be the one that breaks through? Yeah, it's, it's got to be that. 
And because if you don't have that belief in yourself, then you probably never make it as a footballer anyway. And also, would you rather play in Chelsea under 23s or on loan at Vitesse, you know, with brilliant facilities and training pitches and everything else? Or, or would you, you know, take the drop down in the English leagues to League One or League Two and really have to rough it to try and make your way back to the top? And then you look at the percentages of how many players actually do drop down and then climb back up. And it's it's very, very few, isn't it? So, yeah. I think I'm just about, I'm just about to tee you up here, Matt. Um, I suppose I suppose on the other side of the coin, you can have players who just stay at lesser teams and never get the big move. Are you talking about two guy? Zaha. Oh right, okay, sorry. That that wasn't that wasn't seamless at all, thanks to your fucking Blackburn obsession. It was like that was like Man United tonight. It was. I laid it on. Beautiful yeah. pass. I've just smashed it into the stands. <laughs> the, the stewards having to climb up there and get it back. Um, yeah, Wilf Sahar, perfect, Mills. Yeah, great segue. Uh, speaking of players that aren't going to make that step up, Ruben, Wilf Sahar, is, is this the, has he missed his moment, really, to, to make the move? He's 28 this year. It feels like this is the summer where if he's going to step up again, he obviously went to Man United, I think it was £15 million pounds, about five, six years ago now. Uh, and the deal was sort of put in place, wasn't it, by Ferguson? And then Ferguson obviously retired and Moyes came in and it just he just never really got going at Old Trafford. Didn't work out mm. for a number of reasons, some of which are redacted. Um, and, and not true. Yeah, and not true. And then obviously he's gone back to Palace. And he, he, he is such a superb player to watch. And I'm sure so many Premier League managers w- would love him in their squad. But right now with coronavirus and everything else that's going on, the idea of paying 80 million, which I think was the fee that was rumoured last summer when Arsenal were interested, it, it's probably just a non-starter, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's quite, it's it's a bit more complicated than people make out. Like, I, I don't like the discourse around Zaha because basically, like, we, we Palace quote an 80 million pound fee because... Like last summer, for example, he's more important to us than he would be to a buyer who want to rotate him with their other wingers, like a top six club. So like say say City bought him, he's going to come off the bench and you know play some cup games and play in the Champions League now and then, but he's not going to be as important to them as he is to us, which is why we priced him so high. So obviously he's not an £80 million player and never has been, but that's why he's been so expensive um in the past and that's why he hasn't left and i think he has missed his window to leave because well partly because he kept signing new four or five year contracts every year or two with with like with no release clause in them just a gentleman's agreement that if the right offer came in then palace would let him go and that doesn't mean anything when steve parish keeps on saying no, we want more money because, uh, and so I can understand why he wants to leave. Like, why wouldn't he? But it's not out of like, and, and Palace fans don't resent him for that. It's not out of any like lack of loyalty. Like he's stuck with us through the entire time we've been in the Premier League, bar the first season where he was, um, you know, slumming it in Cardiff. Um, and now Palace fans and the club are ready to let him go, but it's just bad timing that. The pandemic has come. Nobody's got any money to spend. Um, you know, like Arsenal, for example, who have also been linked with him, are now going to give Willian a three-year contract because he's a free transfer rather than spend 
all of that money on Zaha. And now you sp- you mentioned his age. It's very depressing to think that he's 28 because I've watched him since his debut. Um, and he, in my head, he's always one of he's one of these players that will always be young. Um, and to think that he's reaching that point now, where he has to basically leave or stay with us forever and embrace the um, the Matt Letizia sort of uh, idoldom. Although you know, the less said about Letizia, the better. But twenty eight isn't young, isn't old in uh, Crystal Palace <laughs> squad, Ruben. That's... No, I know. Well, this is the depressing thing. He is the youngest regular starter in our squad. Like you know, Cahill, Dan. Um, Benteke, they're all like Townsend, they're all like 29 at least, like some of them pushing like 34. And the fact that he's the youngest player in the squad, or like in the starting 11, just emphasizes our need to sell him because now it's got to the point where, like in the past few years, it's been fine because the rest of our squad was okay. So we don't need the money that we would get from him. But now we kind of do because we need to invest in the rest of the squad. So it's, it's kind of a horrible situation. Um, I think he will. I don't think he'll get his move for the reasons we've outlined, and I hope he can get over that and just embrace the fact that he'll be, you know, he'll probably get a statue outside Selhurst Park one day rather than uh, coming off the bench for Arsenal in, in a Europa League tie. Have you have you have you sensed that he's um, that he's that he's playing like a disgruntled player now or not? No, I. I mean, there have been games where he has looked isolated and some people may read his body language to mean that he's he's not interested but i i don't think obviously like i'm slightly biased but i don't think he allows his desire to leave the club to affect his effort on the pitch like he he will always try and win games for us and 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 often you know will snatch a point or three uh, on his own uh, he's not had the best season but partly that is because we rely on him too much teams you know triple up on him when he gets the ball and without a player like Balassi on the other wing to kind of distract that attention he has no space to operate in so I think people are slightly reading too much into the underwhelming season that he's had in that sense I absolutely love that you're talking about uh, Balassi being the perfect foil for Zahar and Nozitir wondering how Sancho fits into that front three, <laughs> whether it's going to be worth it. Different um, wingers for different needs. We, we've, <laughs> we've talked quite a bit about big transfers that, that could be happening or, or are happening, but I think we should probably have a look at the other big story of today, um, which is the other side of all, of all of this conversation in football, which is what's happened at Arsenal. Uh, I think you mentioned Willian's proposed move there, Ruben. Talk of a 200k salary, a 10 million signing on fee. And that comes on the same day that it's been announced that 55 staff will, will lose their jobs at Arsenal. What do we make of this? Because it's the, the obscene side of football, really, isn't it? When you look at the fees that are banded about and then you see the reality for you know for for people communities that work at these football clubs yeah it is it is the obscene side of football um and on the face of it it looks mad when they pay players like Ozil you know in excess of 300 grand a week but I don't think the focus of the conversation should be on Ozil's wages because that's just that's just what every big football club does I think the focus of the conversation should be on who they're letting go um, whether it's you know people at the top of the club or the you know people who work the desk jobs on 
average wages who desperately need that money. Um, and also the fact that their owner is worth $8 billion. Um, and by doing this, he's, you know, if, if he's, if he's letting 55 people go on 40 K a year, which is, you know, a generous estimate, then he's saving like 2 million pounds, um, in the space of a year. And he's apparently they're going to give William 10 million signing on fee. So the priorities are clearly, um, a bit skewed and, I can see why Arsenal fans and just neutral football fans are very disappointed by their actions. But like a story broke today, the males are saying that they're set to let their chief, their head of international scouting go, who's been at the club for longer than 20 years. So I think maybe that has to be considered who they're letting go. Obviously, like that's kind of a different conversation when you're getting rid of your scouting department um, with regards to job security and and the like. But um, it does look absolutely obscene on the face of it yeah i mean i mean from my point of view i mean i mean i'd, I'd, I'd echo a lot of that um I, I i don't like how a lot of the conversation has been uh been framed because uh you, you're getting ozil and uh william and people like that being um referenced in terms of how much money they're getting how much money they're getting paid like it's not it's not it's not on them it's not on them to um to uh, be responsible for, for for Arsenal's actions, like you say, there's a there's a there's a there's an owner who's who's a multi billionaire, who's uh, who can't cover the cost of fifty five members of staff apparently, um, and and again, like the thing is that it's in in a lot of ways it's the worst time that they could have announced it because because we're, we're in the middle or we or, 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 or we're just at the start of the tra- of, a, of a truncated uh, transfer window, and obviously. Arsenal are looking to get players in and, and, and pay them um, a salary that will attract them. And in the same way that if Liverpool had gone ahead with their their ill sort of fated sort of a furlough sort of plan that was uh, that they did that they did a U turn on, like they would have actually got they they, they would they would have got destroyed in the transfer window if they went to sign anybody, because essentially the public would be paying for a portion of that um, through the furlough scheme. And in the same way that Liverpool fans, uh, in all fairness to them, were sort of outraged by it and kind of said, this isn't on and this is taking a piss. And perhaps that's what led to Liverpool taking the U-turn. Um, you've got to you've got to praise some of the more vocal um, Arsenal fans uh, on social media and the like that have basically said, this is disgraceful. Because the the way Arsenal have uh, have have sort of um, framed it when they in their statement is is that in, to ensure that the club can go on and and it can um, they can add to this playing staff they've had to do this and if football fans were as shallow as they're sometimes perceived then th- then Arsenal fans would be thinking great like we don't care about those fifty five people all we care about is what's happening on the pitch but they've not been like that at all. Um, They've looked at it in a very uh, humane sort of uh, ethical way and kind of thought like as much as they want these players and as much as they might want William or, or other players coming in, um, that's 55 uh, households that are, that are going to go without. That's 55 people who, who need jobs again at a really difficult time uh, in the wider economy. And, uh, and, and like I say, there's something massively, massively obscene with that. And, and and I get I get your point about it's it's about how employable these people are. So if the reports are true and the head of recruitment's gone, 
um, and the head of recruitment in the UK has gone as well um, because they've got such good reputation and because they've unearthed such good players, they might not have a problem finding a new job. Um, that won't be the case for for, for, for all of them. Um, yeah, I should clarify. I don't. I don't want to see them lose their jobs either. Oh, but there is but, a difference, obviously. Oh yeah, it, completely. Yeah. But but, but, but I, I completely take your point that you're making that, that that it does matter who they are because because um, there'll be certain people who who, who will be uh, their, their qualities will be finite in the game, and therefore they will be very much in demand, and therefore uh, things like paying the mortgage won't be an issue for them. So it's a, it's a it's a really valid point. But um, yeah, like like but but also like. You know as well as I do that that if if they wanted to do that because it, because the argument for that is that they're gonna I mean it's it's a it's a fucked up argument but the argument is that they're gonna take a more um, agent sort of orientated uh, approach to signing players which essentially just means that uh, Edu's mate Kieran Rabchin will be sort of like uh, leading things um, to, to to a greater extent um, but but that that's just. Uh, that that would that would worry you as an Arsenal fan, just because like uh, they these these scouts and and and, and this scouting system and these uh, head of recruitments have done really well in in that position. But if you were going to do that, if if that was your strategy to sort of give the to give like Jitterabjian or or agents more autonomy and therefore get rid of the scouting department and get rid of the uh, get rid of the head of recruitment or whatever, just say that that's what you're going to do. Don't 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 sort of like. Um, put it in the context of like, oh, COVID, oh, um, the 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 the, the, the um, clubs not performing financially because there's no fans coming in, and therefore we've unfortunately had to do this. If if your strategy is because you want to get rid of your a, a large portion of your coaching staff, then just do it. Don't don't fucking blame coronavirus. It it feels very short sighted, doesn't it? Because the figures that you're talking about, like I think that probably is. A reasonable estimate. I've seen a few people suggest that today, Ruben, about two million pounds a year the club are going to save. And, you know, perhaps it is even more, like, let's say it's three million. For that amount of money compared to what Arsenal's overall revenue is, it, it feels like a PR disaster, really, because, you know, they're a club that very frequently switches between, uh, you know, complete turmoil to, uh, all-out mutiny from, from, the, from the fans. And you look at it and you think, like, you know, fans of that club will know some of those employees that are going to have been laid off today or in the coming days. And it's going to leave a bad taste. Uh, and it will linger over, certainly, the, the transfer window, possibly even the start of next season, that Arsenal have made this decision. And, f- and for that amount of money, two to three million pounds over the next year, when obviously, you know, we're all hoping that coronavirus is... Uh, a short-term impact on the finances of football and the wider economy, it, it, it feels like they've shot themselves in the foot. Yeah, massively. Um, like two to three million pounds is is a lot of money to most people, but it's not a lot of money to their owner, who in the statement I think they mentioned had helped out a bit um, with funds. But yeah, like when you put it in perspective, it's just... As you say, it's a complete PR disaster. Like the, the week they, after they win the FA Cup, which they also got some prize money for, um, and and they're linked with signing Coutinho and Willian, both clients of that agent, by the way. And that you know, especially with that signing on fee, I I, just, I can't get my head around who, how they thought it was a good idea 
to make that decision. And, and, and also just to add, like, like this whole idea of sort of like naming players, like I saw in Sky Sports as well, like naming Ozil and like talking about how much he earns per week or whatever. Um, didn't, didn't Arsenal players agree to a pay cut anyway? Wasn't it like yeah, 12, 12% or something? Yeah, 12.5% so, they all took one. So, so, so surely part of the reason why why the Arsenal players would have taken that bait cut wasn't to save Kroenke any money. It was to ensure that that the club could run as it is and people wouldn't be sort of let go. So, it, was, so, it was for William. Pay, pay, pay cuts for William. They'll be fucking t-shirts. They'll be wearing. They'll all be wearing uh, William t-shirts. Like like they did it for him. Nobody. He's going to he's gonna have to pay for the biggest night out when he joins. That <laughs> but, it, but but that's a, that's the thing. Like like far like rather than sort of blaming the Arsenal players or like current Arsenal players in terms of how much they're earning or whatever. Like remember that the Arsenal players have already been subsidised in the club, and it turns out they were subsidising the fucking billionaire owner rather than sort of uh, people making a tea or people finding the next sort of talented youngsters. To try and end on maybe a slightly more lighthearted note, Gareth Bale left out of the squad for Real Madrid's trip to Manchester City on Friday. I mean, what's not to love about Gareth Bale at the moment? He is living his best life in Spain, pissing about on the bench in Madrid, does not give a shit about how Zinedine Zidane treats him or thinks about him. Are you, are you two fans, or are you thinking he's wasting his talents? I, I love Gareth Bale. Um, I he's a brilliant footballer who has been, you know, he's he's been dealt a weird card because it's he's on loads of money. He plays for one of the biggest clubs in the world. He's won the Champions League a few times, and everybody seems to hate him. Um, it's really weird. Uh, Madrid fans, you know, they think he's they think he's lazy. He doesn't suit Zidane's style of play, and he just doesn't care, does he? Like. He, he just he's just happy playing golf in his back garden, um, and, he, and you know chilling with his kids. And he's probably he's probably glad he's been left out of the squad because it means he doesn't have to fly to Manchester, no offence, um, and can just chill at home and watch the game or or not. He probably won't even watch it. Um, and I think given the situation, he's kind of made the most uh, he's kind of made the most of it because there would be a lot of players who would um, understandably let it kind of ruin their late 20s but he's not doing that he's just um, stacking money and living his best life I mean what, what, what in a lot of ways what, what an absolute hero like this this is the man who's been sat there in the stands sort of like entertaining himself making binoculars out of his programme sort of just generally fucking about so if he, he he's the he's the kid in class that would in the, like in the back of the class would just sort of like be on his chair just on like two just on two legs just sort of giving no attention just making it obvious to, to the teacher that they mean nothing to him like this this is a man who 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 during during a Wales uh, well after a Wales victory saw a flag in the crowd that said um, Wales Golf Madrid in that order started pissing himself. Went over and got the flag, and then celebrated with the flag, holding the flag with the rest of the team. Wales Golf Madrid in that order. I'm like, is it is it is it any is it any wonder like, like Madrid fans are a little bit pissed off and like thinking, is he committed not or not? Because like he he obviously does not give a shit. But in fairness, like he's won the fucking Euro- Champions League for him. Like he's he's done okay. So like they can stick the fucking white hankies and fuck off. 
There you have it, fans. Uh, Real Madrid fans, you can stick your white hankies and fuck off. I think that's a perfect place to uh, wrap up tonight's show, Does Thanks very much for joining us. We've been Nuruddin Chowdhury, Ruben Pinder and Matt Stanger. You can subscribe to The Football Spin on all your usual podcast platforms and join us again soon. I think it would lift the spirits of the nation. I don't give a fuck about the nation of Morocco. It's people's lives are at risk. Oli Gunnar, where would you like the statue? <laughs> it's an absolute disgrace. I refuse to answer that question. We'll take that as a yes then. Take it whatever you want. I don't understand that. Politics, coronavirus. Why me? I wear a base cap and uh, I have a bad shave.